I'd like to share a word today about salvation. Our text is going to be in John's Gospel, uh, John chapter 10. And we're going to look at a couple of sections starting in verse 1. So if you uh, have your Bible with you, go ahead and be opening up to John 10. Uh, the text will also be up on, the, uh, up on the screen here in just a moment. Now, naturally, salvation is a topic that's near and dear to the, uh, the heart of any Bible, any, any Bible preacher. And uh, I think it should be near and dear to the heart of any person who has a modicum of care for their soul. In particular today, I want to focus, I mean, salvation is a huge topic. There's a lot of stuff we cover. But I want to talk about three uh, big topics, and all of those are, are touched on in our text today. And those three questions are, one, what is salvation? Two, how do you know you have it? And number three, can you lose it? What is it? How do you know you got it? Can you lose it? And each of those questions is of vital importance, and I realize that uh, there are going to be people who may disagree with me on uh, some points or another. But I would challenge each person, whether you agree or disagree with me, it doesn't really matter what, uh, what my opinion of things is. It matters what God's opinion is about things. And so I would challenge you, uh, whether you agree or disagree, to, uh, to look at what the Bible says and honestly evaluate uh, Christ's words. Now, I want to set the stage for our text today just a little bit, because uh, if we just jump into the middle of John, uh, we don't really know what's going on. In John chapter 9, we have the account of the man born blind. And here's a man who had been born blind, and Jesus miraculously heals him. And you would think that, uh, that when people saw that, that they would glorify God for the work that he's done. They would worship Jesus because these are miracles that attested that he was, in fact, God's son. But instead of that, the religious leaders, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they did just the opposite of what they should have done. They had it in their hearts and minds, so no matter what Jesus did, they were going to disbelieve him and his work. And so, so what happened, you might remember in, in John chapter 9, there was the man born blind. Jesus heals him, and the religious leaders bring him up, and they try to get him to renounce Christ. He wouldn't do it, but they continued in their unbelief. They, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't come around to what he was saying. And so finally it got so bad that they basically excommunicated this man. They put him out of the synagogue, it says, in, in John 9. And so here are people, these religious leaders that claim to be shepherds of the people. They're going to lead people in the right path, going to lead them to God. And they were leading them away from God. They were leading the people in the opposite direction that they should have been going. And so Jesus shows in John chapter 10 that in contrast to them, he is the good shepherd. Now he uses imagery that the people of the time were very familiar with. Uh, we don't necessarily get all the imagery because most of us uh, don't live in Palestine and have sheep. Uh, in fact, I'd say none of us do. But even though that's the case, I think we still get the point of what he's saying. And the point is that, that Jesus is the good shepherd, and as such, he calls, protects, and provides eternal salvation for his sheep. So if you found John chapter 10, please stand with me as we uh, start reading in verse 1. We're going to read a few verses, then skip a section, and then uh, read a few more verses. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, 
But they did not understand what, uh, what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door to the sheep. Now I want you to skip down to, uh, to verse 22. Now, and, and, and this is kind of an aside, verses 8 to 21, uh, there's like a, a few months time between verse 7 and verse 22. They're, they're at a couple different feasts. And um, anyway, so Jesus picks back up with what he's been saying. Verse 22. At the time of the feast of the de- dedication that took place at Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, if I were to ask you um, to tell me what salvation was, probably a lot of you would use words like saved and eternal life and things like that. And that's all well and good. Those are biblical terms. And I mean, let's face it, we just sang a song uh, whose chorus was saved, saved, saved. I always keep saying that word over and over again. Um, but the thing is, while those are biblical terms, sometimes I think we get so familiar with the terminology that's used in the Bible and we just use it uh, kind of like Christianese. And so if somebody that doesn't have a church background hears it, it can be kind of confusing. We say, well, I've been saved. And somebody that's never been in church might look at us and say, from what? A burning building? Or what, what are you talking about being saved? And so what does it mean to, uh, to, to experience salvation? Well, if you look at uh, chapter 10, there are a couple of significant terms that are used to speak of salvation. One is saved, and the other is eternal life. Now, we didn't look at the word saved, but if you look at verse 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then later in verse 28, he says, I will, I, and, I give them etern- and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, these two ideas of being saved and having eternal life blend together so, so let's start with, with saved. What does it mean to be saved? Saved from what? Well, Jesus doesn't give us an exhaustive treatment of salvation here. But what the Bible teaches us is that every single person is a sinner. We're born with a sinful nature. And, uh, and what that means is you don't have to be taught how to sin. We all do it naturally. And I've, I've said this for a long time. Uh, I, uh, this was mentioned just in a conversation that I had a, a couple weeks ago. But you know what? Even babies, you can, you can see that they're, they're sinners. They're liars. I mean, if, if you were to come into my house about half the time, you would think that something was eating John's feet. And he's, he's screaming his head off. What's he saying? There's something bad happening to me. Help me. Help me. And you go in there. You don't even have to hold him to your chest and comfort him. You pick him up. You can hold him at arm's length. And what does he do? Silence. What's he saying? Something's wrong with me. What's he? What's he mean? I want you to do what I. I want you to pick me up. He's lying, and we've all done it. I've done it. You've done it. 
you, you remember America's Funniest Home Videos? I, one, of the, one of the classic videos uh, uh, from that show was there was a kid sitting in a high chair, had chocolate all over his face. Maybe, and maybe you've seen something like this in, in your own life. And the person with the video camera says, have you been eating chocolate? Uh-uh. Are you sure you haven't been eating chocolate? It's just, I mean, he's, he's got a black face and all the chocolate. No, I've not been eating chocolate. Now, do you think that the person with the video camera had to sit down and say, now, now son... I want you to tell me a lie when I ask you about this chocolate. No, he thought he was going to get in trouble, and he thought that's the way to get out of it. And it's, it's fun to point the finger at the kids, but adults are no better. I don't know how many times I've had somebody say, See, it, see you on Sunday, Pastor. <laughs> yeah, right. There, there were, well, I'll not go down that path. Anyway, I've had people, and, and it's people inside and outside churches, right? I mean, people just, they... They lie. They fib. And it's not just lying. I mean, uh, there, are, there are people, kids, adults, that get into to, to theft, to drugs, to alcohol, uh, and they do it over and over. Why? Because it comes naturally. It, it's, it's just because it comes from the inside out. We're sinful by nature, but we're also sinful by act. Uh, we are sinful because of what we do, not only who we are, but what we do. <clears throat> And, and people, including Christians, choose to do wrong. And so the, the Bible tells us that the people are sinful, and God is perfect. He's so perfect and holy that sin can't be in his presence. And that presents a problem for us because we're sinful. And that means we can't be in God's presence. But the Bible also said that God loves us so much that he sent Christ to die on the cross in our place. And our, our sin rightfully deserves punishment, which the Bible calls death. And it talks about physical death, but also and mainly spiritual death. The Bible says that apart from Christ, we're all dead in trespasses and sins. And if we die in that state, we will spend eternity separated from God and his goodness, punished in hell. But the good news of the Bible is that God loves us so much that Christ died for us, the just for the unjust, the sinless for the sinful. And on the cross, our sin was transferred to Christ, and the punishment that was due us was poured out on him. And while his death is powerful enough to atone for all the sins of all mankind, it's only effectual to those who put their faith in Christ, who repent of their sins. And so when we turn from our sin, we ask God for forgiveness. He grants us a pardon, so to speak. He forgives us. And because we're saved from the penalty of sin, we're saved from eternity in hell, that's why we talk about being saved. We are saved from the penalty and, and we get into the theology of the, the power and later the presence of sin. But, but we're saved from hell. But at the same time, at the moment of salvation, we also experience spiritual life. We once were dead in trespasses and sin and, and Jesus imparts to us spiritual life. He makes us alive. And this, this life is eternal life. And that is not only a quantity, it's not just a length of time, but it's also a quality. Jesus said in, uh, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, I think it was, that, um, that eternal life is knowing God. So eternal life happens in the here and now, but also after death. So what is salvation? Well, we, again, we could have a very nuanced uh, you know, five-page definition of it. But I'll just give you a sentence or two. Salvation is an act of God where he forgives the repentant sinner of his or her sin, 
removing the penalty of death that was hanging over them and giving them eternal life. That's salvation. What is it? Well, I just said, how do you know that you got it? Well, I mean, salvation's a pretty good deal for us, let's face it, because we come to him with nothing except sin, and he gives us everything. He gives us eternal life. He gives us heaven. It's kind of like the, uh, the lyric of the old hymn says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. We give nothing to him. He gives us everything. So salvation is conditioned on repentance and faith, but how do you know you, got, you have it? Can we know that we have salvation? And the answer is a definite yes. We can have assurance of salvation. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, John, the same person who penned these words, said this, These things I have written to you who, who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know whether or not you're saved. And it's important to know. Because if a lost person, somebody who's never accepted Christ, never considers their eternal destiny, uh, they may well uh, never come to the conclusion that, you know what, I am a sinner and I do need a Savior. But also Paul says that we need to uh, make sure that we are in the faith. It's important for us as Christians to know that we're saved because what happens, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you've ever doubted your salvation. I think probably everybody who's a Christian has. But what happens many times is, is we get so wrapped up in the fear of, and we sit there and wring our hands and say, oh, well, I hope I'm saved. I, I hope I, I haven't sinned so much. I, ha I, hope, I hope this, I hope that. And we get so wrapped, it's the, the paralysis of analysis, so to speak. And we get so scared, uh, maybe we've lost it, maybe we never had it, that we don't move ahead in our Christian lives. And, and you think the devil doesn't like that? He's got a Christian sideline saying, oh, I wonder if I'm getting to heaven. And he can know. Of course he, he likes that. So how can you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you really do have salvation? Well, I'll give you three tests that you can apply to yourself out of our text today. And I think those are on the back of your bulletin. If not, you can, you can write them down. Test number one, do you hear Christ? Do you hear Christ? Look at verse three. He says, to him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep, now this is talking about Christ's followers, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Look at verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So the first test is, do you hear Christ? I'm not talking about having some sort of charismatic experience where the heavens opened up and you know the the beam of light comes down and the angels all go oh you know how we see on tv and i'm not talking about that i'm not talking about the voice from the sky i'm not even talking about a, a voice in your head i mean first have you ever heard the call to salvation has there ever been a time in your life when the spirit of god has convicted you of your sin and you said i know that i need a savior now, I grew up in church. I got, I got saved when I was nine years old. And I'd always heard about conviction. I could say all the right words. But whenever I went through, whenever I was experiencing conviction, I, I didn't know exactly what it was. I was like, is this conviction? Is this something else? I didn't know. I, I, I had a problem connecting the, the terms with the experience. 
But you know what? One thing I did know was God was saying, you know what? If you don't get saved, you're going to hell. And that was something I could understand. That he, he was saying, you are a sinner. You need to be saved. You need Christ in your life. Have you ever experienced that? And have you ever responded to that in a positive way? Have you ever repented of your sin? But beyond that, this is an ongoing thing. Does the Spirit speak to you when you read God's Word? Does He speak to you when you hear God's Word preached? Again, I'm not saying you read the Bible and God says, Jeff, you need to do this. That's all I'm talking about. I mean... And if you've ever experienced this, you know what I'm talking about. You have an aha moment. You're reading the Bible, and all of a sudden it's like a light goes on. It's like your, your, your mind is illuminated. All of a sudden you understand. It's like, oh, how did I never see this before? It's plain as day right there. Maybe, maybe you're going through something, and you're like, God, please, Lord, please give me direction. I don't know what to do here. Lead me in the way that you want me to go. And you read a text. Maybe it's a, your daily devotion. Maybe whatever it is. But you read a text and it's like, that is a word for me. That's what I needed right there. Now I know what I, what I should go. That's the direction I should go. Maybe, maybe you need comfort. Maybe there's been a, a loss in your life and, and you're reading out the Psalms or something. And God takes those words, and it's like a bomb applied to your heart, and it's like, oh, I, 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 don't, I don't have the words. I, I'm not an eloquent person, but that's what, that, yeah, that's me right there. And God came through for them, and I think he's, I, I know he's going to come through for me. There's comfort. Or maybe there's conviction. You read a word, and you're, you think, you know what, I'm... I'm going along, everything's fine, or maybe you're wrestling with something, whatever it is, and you read a word, and it's like, oh, 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 man, I need to get, I need to get that straightened out. Because God has his finger on, on that in my life. That's hearing Christ. And you can term it whatever you like, illumination or, or whatever, but you know what? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Do you hear Christ's voice whenever you read the word whenever you, whenever you hear preaching does the word ever speak to you if so that's a sign that you're a believer same verse is another thing do you follow Christ do you follow Christ that's what he said my sheep hear my voice and what they do follow me what does it mean to follow Christ well it doesn't mean that we have to wear a long robe sell everything we have and go walk around and be an itinerant preacher. That's not what it means. Following Christ means that, that we keep his commandments. Peter said that he's left, in the, left us an example that we should follow in his steps. Now I can already hear what somebody might be thinking. Mm. Boy, I try, but I don't do a very good job. I, I fall short in this area, I fall short in that area. This is not talking about perfection. But is this the goal and the aim of your life? Because the unsaved person doesn't have any desire to please God. But the saved person has a desire to please God. And you may fail, and you will fail. We all do. But 
do you seek to follow Christ? Because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And then the third test is in verse 28. And Jesus says, uh, well, back at verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So the third test is, has Jesus ever given you eternal life? That seems kind of obvious, right? Has Jesus ever given you eternal life? It's obvious, but why is it important? Because Jesus said, the person who has eternal life, well, well, first notice, I give them eternal life. It's not I will give them eternal life. And I give eternal life to them, present tense. It's not something, see a lot of people think, well, I get saved, that means that when I die, Jesus is going to give me eternal life. And some people who, who believe that you can lose your salvation may think, well, when I die, God's going to weigh my, my good deeds against my bad deeds. And if it all pans out and, and the good deeds outweigh the bad, then he'll give me eternal life. Listen, if you're, if you're counting on that, you might as well forget it. Because none of us are going to be good enough for that. We weren't good enough to experience salvation to begin with. What makes you think you're going to be good enough to experience salvation whenever you're, you're, you're dead? That's why we need grace. But then just in case you missed it, look at verse 28. He says, I give, them, I give eternal life to them. And then just in case you missed it, he reemphasizes, and they will never perish. Now, how long is eternal? That's a really long time. It's forever. How long is never? That's pretty long, too. Those are absolute terms. I read of uh, a story of uh, Dr. Ironsides, and he was preaching on this text, and, and afterwards there was a lady who came up to him and said she didn't agree with his interpretation because he, he said that one could not lose their salvation. And he said, it's not my interpretation. I, I just read what Jesus said. And she said, no, I don't agree with what you, I don't agree with your interpretation. He said, I'm not interpreting it. I just read it. She said, I don't agree with your interpretation. He said, okay. If this said, if we substitute 20 years in here and said, and I will give 20 years of life to them, and they will never perish for eternal uh, 20 years, how long would that be? She said, 20 years. He said, well, if we put 40 years in there, she, she would say, well, I, believe, I would believe that they would have life for 40 years and would not perish for 40 years. He said, why don't we substitute eternal in there? It says, and I will give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. How long would that be? She said, I don't agree with your interpretation of it. Listen, again, this is not, this is not my idea. This is Jesus' idea, Okay. Now, there are a lot of things that can be said about uh, things that are true of Christians and, and things like that. But you can know that you have salvation. How? Not by trusting your feelings. Feelings are, are wrong a lot of times. You ever been, and I've, I've done this, maybe, you've, maybe you haven't, but you know somebody who has because I've done it. I get around somebody, and I, th- and, and I start noticing how they're responding to me, and I think... That person must be mad at me. I bet that person, that, I'm, I must have done something wrong to make that person upset because they're, the way that they're responding to me and, and they're being real short with me and all this stuff. 
and I'm, I'm stressed and wondering, what did I do? And then I talk to him, and, I, and sometimes I just ask, man, are you mad at me about something? They're like, mad at you? No. Why? And then I explain, they're like, no, I just didn't get very much sleep last night, or, or I have something on my mind, or, or maybe it's just me being neurotic, I don't know. Listen, feelings a lot of times are wrong. So don't use something subjective like feelings to determine your eternal destiny. You need to use something objective, namely God's Word. Evaluate yourself honestly in light of what the Bible says. And if God uses that to say, you know what, you are not a Christian, you need to get saved because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And if you are a Christian, you need to get off the sidelines, stop wringing your hands, and move on ahead with, with your Christian life. Thank God for the assurance and move ahead. So, the questions. What is salvation? Talked about that. How do you know you got it? Talked about that. Number three, can you lose it? Well, I think I probably have prefaced my comments enough uh, here that you probably know where I'm going to come down on this. But I know that there are a lot of uh, well-meaning, true blue Christians who will disagree on this point. Can a person lose their salvation? Well, what does Jesus say? Verse 28. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So what do the red letters say? I don't know how I can say it any more emphatically. If you are truly a believer, you will not lose your salvation. It cannot happen. Those are not my words. Those are words in red. Someone would say, Pastor, I disagree, and here's why. I believe you can sin so badly that you can lose your salvation. Or somebody else would say, you chose Christ, you can unchoose him. Well, let's think about those things. Because, I mean, maybe, maybe you think that. Maybe you know somebody that thinks that. Let's, but let's, let's explore it. What does Jesus say? He says, the Father is greater than all. Does that mean he's greater than me? Yes. Does that mean he's greater than you? Yes. Does that mean he's greater than any, anybody that ever has existed or ever will exist? Yes. So Jesus, God in the flesh, said the Father is greater than any person. Yes. Therefore, no one can snatch, take away, remove believers from his hand. Yes. So if you can sin so badly that you pry God's fingers open and get yourself out of his hand, who's stronger, you or God? You? Is that possible? No. What about this idea, well, I can unchoose Christ. Well, if you can unchoose Christ, again, you're taking those fingers of God, those fingers of Christ, you're prying them off of your life. Jesus said nobody is more powerful than, than the Father. I and my Father are one. If you're prying God's grip off of your life, who is stronger, you or God? You, because you overpower God himself. Can that happen? No. I just wonder, people who think this, do they, do they pray? Because if you're more powerful than God, why are you asking God to do anything? I mean, just saying. <laughs> Look at verse 28. The first part, he says, And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. Now, that statement is plain. And it's not a question of whether or not Jesus says, can somebody who's experienced salvation, ex 
experience eternal death, perish, because he, he clearly addresses it. The real question then becomes, okay, he's addressed it. Is he telling the truth? And hopefully, you would answer yes to that. Why? He's Jesus. So if a person can lose their salvation, if they can perish, they can go to hell, then that would mean not only are you more powerful than God, but Jesus would be a liar because he said that that can't happen. Jesus is not a liar. Our eternal salvation, we think of it as us holding on to God. Oh, God, I'm holding on to you for my salvation. And I've sinned. Oh, I'm only holding on by one hand. And, oh, you know, and, and we're, we're hoping we can hold on to God long enough. Then finally when we die, we hopefully can snatch hold of his, the hem of his garment. Save us from hell. But I notice the picture that Jesus uses is not us holding on to God. It's of God holding on to us. The late Dr. Adrian Rogers had some apt words here. He said, and I'm quoting him, he said, There are some people who think that you can lose your salvation once you have it. I have one truth that will dispel that idea. Whether or not you can lose your salvation depends upon how you got it. If you are saved by your good works, then you can lose your salvation by your bad works. But God's word is very clear on this point. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. How is someone saved? By grace. And if it is by grace, then you're kept by grace. Salvation is not rooted in the merit of man, but in the mercy of God. I love Dr. Rogers. He has, he has such a good way of saying things. Folks, if you're saved, if you are really saved, you're always going to be saved. If you can lose it, you never had it to begin with. John, in his writings, in 1 John, he said, he wrote about some people who professed to be Christians, but then they turned and they walked away from the faith. He said they went out from us because they were not really of us. They weren't really believers to begin with. Yeah, they may have come to church... They may have sung in the choir. They may have done all these things, but they were not really believers. You can know that you have eternal life. So today I, I would encourage you, make sure you're in the faith. Because everyone needs to make, make it clear in their own heart. Am I a Christian or am I not a Christian? If you're not a Christian, get saved today. Repent of your sin. Turn your life over to Him. Repent and believe. And if you are a Christian, you can thank God for your salvation. Thank God that He has made it crystal clear that you don't have to worry about feelings. You don't have to worry about uh, attendance in a certain group. You don't have to worry about doing these outward acts. You don't have to worry about stamp of approval by any person other than Him. Are you saved? And if He says yes then move ahead with your life. Follow Him. Take comfort in that, that assurance because if, if you're sitting on the sidelines wringing your hands, you're not doing anything for God. It's not through feelings, but through the objective truths of the Bible that you can know. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you bow your heads and close your eyes.
And with nobody looking around, I just want you to consider, are you a Christian? Now, I know we talk about living in a Christian nation. I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about you've gone to church. I'm not talking about you've walked an aisle, shaking the preacher's hand, gotten uh, dunked in water, taking the Lord's Supper. I'm not talking about any of those outward things. I'm, I'm saying, has there ever been a point in your life when you've heard Christ calling you to salvation, when he has said, you are a sinner, apart from me, you're spiritually dead, and you will end up in hell when you die. And if so, have you ever responded to that by repentance and faith? Everybody responds to Christ in one way or another. But have you responded by turning from your sin and asking God to save you? Ask Him for forgiveness. And for those of us who have, and you can thank God for salvation. I mean, we don't deserve it. We know that. And maybe, maybe you have something in your life, and, and even as I was preaching about salvation, the Spirit of God was saying, you know what? You need to get this right. Not saying you need to get saved again, but you need to need to have your feet washed, so to speak. Maybe you need to get right with the person. Maybe you need to change some some folks you've been hanging around with. And maybe you just have some sin in your life you just need to repent of. It's just between you and God. Now's the time to do that.